the advice that everyone gives is follow your gut. And I totally appreciate that the follow your gut instinct is something that's you know, definitely pivotal in entrepreneur success. However, your gut is often kind of made up of you know, familiarities, environments and everything else. And I certainly kind of found that gut-led instincts all the time weren't really sufficient enough to make best decisions. This is The Summit by Fearless Adventures. I'm Dominic McGregor, and every week my co-founder David Nunes and I will be talking to inspirational leaders about their experiences as they strive towards their summit. Thanks for joining us today at The Summit. This is uh, Fearless Adventures podcast where we interview amazing entrepreneurs who are on the way to reaching their summit or achieve their summit or even looking to achieve their next summit. Today we're here with Adam. He co-founded Captify and is now the chairman of Influencer. Thank you, Adam, for joining us. So amazing, you know, career today. Take us right back to where it all began when you co-founded Captify and what was motivating you then, what drove your purpose and, and what, what started the journey? Yeah, so it started uh, originally pre-Captify. Um, I had a kind of few jobs from university. I was at university for the whole of three months, uh, actually in Manchester Metropolitan, so I knew Manchester for three months. I left and kind of tried to find my feet and whilst I was working in recruitment, um, I came across uh, an affiliate marketing course and I started to teach myself the basics of marketing. Is that because you hated recruitment? Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so at that time, I was obviously living with my mum uh, and I set up a computer in mum's hallway. It was like the only place we had for a computer in the house. So I set it up there and I was just working, you know, day and night whilst I was doing recruitment. And then I was probably, I would say, probably I started recruitment at eight and I was finishing at like 8 p.m., coming back eating kind of dinner at, the, uh, at the, the computer and studying till, you know, two, three in the morning, getting a few hours of sleep and doing that for a period of, of three months. After three months, I sat my parents down and I said, I've been kind of doing recruitment for, you know, it was almost a couple of years then, um, but I've been doing this kind of affiliate marketing on the side and I've made, you know, a whole, maybe a decent amount of money. Uh, like, how much you made? I went, about 50 pounds. <laughs> and they were like, so, so what are you trying to say to us, Adam? And I said, well... That £50 was pretty significant because I've proved the model, I've proved that I can do it. And I want to hand in my notice at the recruitment and set up this marketing business. So uh, a couple of weeks later, hand in notice and kind of focus all my time and attention on the affiliate marketing piece. And through that, I discovered you know, a whole world of media. And uh, whilst I was buying media, I came across my business partner uh, at Captify uh, called Dominic. And uh, we decided to team up and form Captify from there. And it was the basis of me essentially buying media and becoming an expert in buying and him being an expert in selling media and combining those kind of that thought process, those skill sets to really come up with something that was new and innovative next level for user targeting, uh, being able to ultimately give me as a purchaser a better ROI. So bringing those skill sets together to come up with Captify. That kind of was the start of uh, the journey, which was really trying to find out what would give marketers a better ROI. So we looked into the market and discovered you know, the best people that are doing this are Google. And what makes Google so special is that they've got access to all this search data and search data is the highest form of intent. So how can we start to access that search data and bring that into a world outside of Google so uh, marketers can target users uh, in, a, in a different environment uh, but still have the same access to that powerful search data that's applied to it. So going on, going on a journey, how important is it having someone alongside you? Kind of who kind of shares that vision, you know, is it was the we see a lot of founders who we speak to, and it seems to be those that have co founders tend to have, I think, a healthier approach to everything. 
Yeah, I, th- I think, you know, for us at that time in our lives, we, we really, you know, needed each other. And there's so many benefits of having, having a co-founder. Um, you know that someone else has as, mu- as much skin in the game as you do. And that means that, you know, you're both kind of tied to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it's something that bonds you in a way that, you know, very few things in life does. For us, it was great to kind of confide in each other when we needed to and support each other on the decisions that were, you know, kind of very big decisions for the company in terms of the growth and success that we had. So for me personally, it was a, it was a great partner that I had and we've been on a hell of a journey for the last, you know, 10 years, over 10 years now. You mentioned some of those kind of barriers. Obviously, you know, the, the space that you were operating in was maturing rapidly. How did you kind of find grabbing a company by the scruff of its neck and scaling it into what you did across that period of time? Firstly, you've got the bucket of you have search data, so you must be Google. Um, and therefore, we're going to spend with Google. I'll spend with you. You're not going to beat Google. Uh, I think that was kind of the first challenge that really we were educating people about the whole world of search outside of Google. The you know, fact is there's a lot more search data outside of Google than within Google. You know, when you go to a website and you search on that site or other secondary search engines or comparison sites or travel portals, that's a lot of high intense search data. And we had to really educate the market around the power of that search data, which was actually even more valuable than the Google data because if you want to target someone that's searching for um, a flight to Paris, yeah, would you target someone that's t- uh, typed that into Google or would you rather you know, someone that's further in their, into their consideration phase and actually on a travel portal uh, looking for sites in that moment? So that's the, the data we were extracting and building audiences off the back of that. So that was kind of challenge number one, which was you know, being in the Google bucket. T- challenge number two was being in a very you know, US-dominated industry. And US domination means that you know, they have access to big, big checkbooks, you know, tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions. And being in Europe, you know, you really had to spend every penny and make sure that we're investing everything into the growth of the business. So, you know, that was really kind of a very early stage when we realized we had something very special. We knew that the first thing was to really go and raise some money to really accelerate what we were doing if we had a real chance of competing with the the big guys uh, over in the US. Um, So that was certainly a big challenge. And even to the end, you know, we, we realized that, um, we just had to keep on raising more money, investing into, t- into their technology until, you know, when we launched in the US five, six years ago, we were going head to head and we were just beating everyone because we realized that every penny we spent was going into making better tech versus, you know, maybe US companies that were really focusing uh, that money on expanding across states and sales and marketing, which in Europe you didn't have the opportunity to do because if you didn't have good tech and didn't compete with the US guys, then, then you'd die. Was there a any doubt in your mind that this isn't going to work? No. No. <laughs> no. No. I, th- I think that, you know, the entrepreneur mindset is that it's going to work. I just don't know how I'm going to get there. We always kind of knew the success that we would get to, but, you know, that path to get there changes, you know, like continuously, especially in that industry, be that legislation, be that competitors. And I think you have to kind of really, really adapt, adapt well to that. And I think the adaptability is what allows you know, businesses like ours to thrive and really build a business that's adaptable versus you know, maybe 10 years ago, people, not more than 10 years ago, sorry, even now. Yeah, but people, <laughs> Time flies, doesn't it? <laughs> Honestly. But, but people built technology that then realized they couldn't, they couldn't change, they couldn't adapt that. And then they had to, you know, even some of our US competitors we were going up against, they built the kind of this legacy technology and that technology wasn't built for adaptability. Therefore, they had to you know, keep on raising money and building everything new again. And that was just a waste of money versus right from the start, we knew that everything we built 
we had to be able to amend and build on moving forward. And don't get me wrong, there was a few kind of stages where we had to kind of rebuild certain aspects, which is you know, very normal in tech. But the vast bulk of it was really designed from the start to really build upon and, and always kind of get to a level of better ROI, better visibility, better results and all the things that come along with, with it. So how did that play through in valuation? So I think what you're saying is we focus on developing technology rather than scaling the business. So I can imagine that being tougher to raise your valuations and not kind of stepping up perhaps at the same level as US competitors? Or? Um, not necessarily. I think we obviously we were tech business, yeah. but, but that goes hand in hand with scale. Right? Yeah. You have to kind of be able to scale to prove the tech. And yeah. You have to be able to, you know, exactly. The US uh, valuations certainly added another level of complexity in the mix. Um, so when we did come to exit, you know, we, we knew that the likely buyer was going to be from the US, mainly because of the valuations that they can get to versus European businesses, but European um, private equity companies or, or trade buyers or strategics. We always had that in mind. So in order to access those US potential buyers, we knew we had to be in the US. Uh, so we knew from a very early stage that US was always on the cards and, you know, heading out to kind of New York uh, to really kind of build up essentially a second head office because, you know, in order to service the rest of the US, you know, be that Los Angeles or, you know, wherever, San Francisco, you know, we had to make sure there was an, a head office there that could service all of those areas versus trying to service it from the UK, which A, is hard to make work and B, the US just hates. When we went over there, we were certainly one of the hottest, you know, ad tech businesses in Europe. Yeah. They didn't care. Yeah, they didn't care who we were. We it could have been the, the hottest company in the world outside of the US. They just don't care. And you have to you know, reborn yourself for that market and so that it's really kind of fit for there. And that, that means that having kind of a US presence and a real US corporate presence as well is, is something that's incredibly important. So we knew that we had to really get some heavy hitters. Our chairman we brought on board, uh, a guy called Tom Rogers, who's a, a real, a real kind of big, big name in the media world in the US. He actually founded CNBC. Um, he was the president of NBC Studios and he was um, the CEO of TiVo and sold that for um, over a billion. So really kind of a yeah, big name. And I think that really kind of helps the story for the US to make sure you have the success there because those types of names really draw great talent, but also a real spotlight from a PR marketing lens as well. So the, you have obviously the mindset, you know, you, 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 if you want to do something, you'll do it. Going through the sale process, you know, coming back to an, an, the next chapter of your life, I know as an entrepreneur, your business is everything. So going for the exit process and then looking at what's next for the future. How have you found that? Yeah, it's, it's interesting because you know, when I started Captify, I was 23. And I think that the journey of Captify really kind of helped me understand who I was. Uh, and it took me a while to kind of get comfortable in my own skin, I think. It was, you know, we had this perception of as a leader, this is how we should be. And I think it took me probably three, four years to be comfortable with being myself in that environment. And that being myself was, was what would help us be, be successful. So over that kind of journey of that kind of 10 years, I definitely felt that for me personally, there was a lot of lessons I was learning about myself and that I knew I would apply to the next chapter in my life. And for me, I think the, the lessons I learned around the impact that I want to make on the world and Whatever I do next would certainly be under the more purposeful bucket. So how can we really make sure that all the skills that I've developed over the last 10 years, I can apply to maybe an industry that is kind of rife for disruption versus, versus just following in, doing the same thing again. I definitely won't do my next venture in, in that world. It'll be something that is kind <laughs> of quite of, Enough of marketing life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, I can speak from experience. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's great. And I think, I think it's great for 
you know, young people that lacked the, the kind of knowledge experience or even like the learning uh, in that world because it was so fresh. You didn't, there was no degrees or no kind of courses that really molded you for that world. Now there's so many, but it was so new and that it meant that you know, people like me without any experience could just learn uh, for themselves and really create something uh, that, that, you know, was essentially leading in that space that helped other people that want to get into that space, educate and, and get into it. I, I feel exactly the same with, with social chain. It was something new, which now is common. Mm. You know, if you can be the first in that space, then eventually becomes a bit of a commodity. But for personal journey, it's the best university for business. Totally. Because marketing applies to everything. Yeah, and have you read the book Outliers? Yeah, it's my favourite book. Oh, it's a great yeah, book. Yeah, yeah. I'm re- re- rereading it again. I just finished it last week, and, and I, I, as I was reading that, I felt that you know, there is definitely kind of a group of entrepreneurs, you're, you're part of that group, yeah. certainly within our kind of age bucket, that yeah. we're just very, very lucky you to compare be around. It, you compare it to the... Uh, to the Bill Gates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm taking it, I'm taking it. Yeah, I think that they I think that... Totally. You know, I think that, you know, you look at the likes of Solly and Lad Bible, you look at like Jungle, you look at the likes of obviously um, Ben and Casper as well, Goat Boys, but they started something when it was so new. And, and the timing, the timing time, was the right timing. Was, yeah, and also for the age group, it was very relevant to the lives that they had that actually a lot of maybe older people in the loosest sense were maybe less familiar with those worlds, be that digital influencer marketing you know, just uh, just uh, you know, social media platforms in general. So it was there was a right, there was a real sweet spot for timing. And I yeah, think yeah, I, I, def- well. I definitely resonate with that from the, the, the that chapter. Especially. Yeah, following your heart a little bit now in terms of being able to make a decision on going to a, an area which is more meaningful. Yeah, uh, where, 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 where's interest? Where interests you? Well, I, th- I think that you know, I'm, I'm taking you know a year and a half to two years off. Um, obviously, had uh, my second child uh, just before the deal was done. So. You know, for me, this was really about making sure I have time to kind of work on myself and understand, you know, how I how I want to spend the next kind of chapter of my life. I think that you know, so many people they're molded by the work that they do, and I didn't want anything to mold me. I wanted to make sure that I can mold whatever work I do next, and that certainly is the questions I've been asking around: what do I want to be remembered for, and what impact do I want to make on the world? Uh, means that I know I have to kind of be in that purposeful. Uh, area to really make sure that I get the satisfaction from whatever I do next. Been working a lot on kind of you know my mind, my body, and and just really trying to learn different areas you know that I feel kind of very drawn to, such as you know Tim Ferriss is always kind of great with with um, just opening up new areas that kind of could be of interest. And uh, I think I have a lot of interest right now in kind of breathing. I think I think the breathing. Uh, tools that we have are absolutely remarkable and only now just really starting to kind of make their way through mainstream. I really like some of the well-being stuff coming through that can be applied to kind of businesses but all individuals in general as well. So definitely kind of along those areas are areas that interest me and as we spoke many times before about education and what's lacking in that world right now that certainly interests me and I feel that you know something in the education space is really drawing me there. I don't know about you, but you know, I, I looked at my staff at Captify and other businesses and really saw that there was a massive hole that wasn't being filled by education systems that were falling on businesses like us to really pick up the pieces. So be that being doing additional support to really help people through moments of trauma, giving them tools just to cope with life, and even just the reality of going from school or university into a job. 
they, they really, really weren't built for it. And it, it really kind of just draw my, drew my attention to making sure that, you know, there is something that needs to be done. How can I kind of really help that happen? And there's still questions that I'm asking. And last, last tough question on that point. Whose responsibility is it? Is it the private sector or public sector? I think responsibility has to be public, but I think the private sector is other people that will, will create the change. And I think the public sector will be the ones to mimic that change and copy it. Reason being is that everything's interlinked in that world. You have to do X, Y, and Z to get into you know, primary school. You have to do X, Y, and Z to get into secondary school. You have to do X, Y, and Z to get into university. So the chain's broken because everyone's relying on these other aspects in order for you to get to that next level. And I think that that's what's, what's a massive problem because actually, how can we create a curriculum that is more evolving with the times? How can we make sure that you know, there is elements that are kind of changing throughout the year? Like if, if you know, COVID, like one of the biggest things that's kind of ever happened, that should absolutely be discussed in a classroom. But actually, no, that's not how the curriculum works because if you take their attention away and focus on that element of what's actually really, really important has changed all our lives forever, they won't get all the grades and everything they need to go to the next stage. And I think that that is certainly kind of a massive issue that's creating a lot of problems. So for me, I think there's a lot of great systems out there, private and public, that are, that are doing the how, the how we learn really, really well. They're trying new aspects. For me, it's bigger than that. It's the what we're learning isn't right for today's world. And that is the harder thing to change, especially in the UK. The UK are definitely behind when it comes to uh, that type of element. US is doing some good stuff. I flew to Bali Green School to look at what they're doing and they've got an amazing evolving curriculum over there. So there are some great uh, aspects and schools that are in education, uh, systems that are doing some great stuff, but you know, definitely the, the bulk of it is still kind of very much kind of hindered with this kind of legacy of military industrial style schooling system that we have today, unfortunately. I couldn't agree more. And I think that we're not going to feel the knock on impact now. Now we've got a little bit of pain. It's five years, totally. 10 yeah, years. Absolutely. When that gap keeps widening and, yeah. you know, we start saying, why have we not got people who are interested in these areas? And it's because, well, we never inspired that interest at a young age. We aspired interest into other areas which the school system is currently set up to teach. And if you don't inspire that interest and that desire to learn more about a sector in a young age, they won't exist in, totally. in, in, the, work, in the work life in the future. And I think that, you know, everyone's so heavily influenced by what they see online now. You know, one in four children in schools want to be influencers. That's quite a troubling stat when, you know, they don't really understand what it, what it fully entails and, and the downside of that as well. You know, so I think there's definitely kind of a lot that, you know, has to be learned and taught to really kind of... And I don't expect 16-year-olds to come out of school and be like, this is what I want to do, and this is what I want to do. I don't think any of us really knew that, but I think there's definitely a pressure now for, for them to know, and how do they know by what they see. Adam, super inspiring in terms of, you know, taking this time out to kind of decide what you want to do. You know, it sounds amazing. Uh, you know, I think Dom and I sort of failed a little bit. We did, yeah. It's called Heroes Hour. <laughs> okay. Where, 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 where you kind of get bored quite quickly and then you yeah. realise you, you need to do something else really quickly. That sounds familiar. So, Welcome yeah. to Fearless. <laughs> <laughs> this, is our, this is a product of our boredom. <laughs> but, but when you know, you know, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But you're kind of look, taking care of yourself, looking after yourself, you know, looking after your mental health and stuff. A lot of entrepreneurs talk about a cost of that success. You know, like, it's tough. It's, you know, the resilience you need to kind of push through all those tough moments. Do you think there's a cost to success when, you, when, you, when you're trying to create something and disrupt industry at scale? And are you on that journey to kind of hopefully repairing some of that? 
Absolutely. There is always a sacrifice. I, I always, I guess I had this plan. I was going to work like my absolute arse off to, to really kind of grow this uh, in the best way possible. And once I got it to a certain stage, I was going to get married. I was going to have children. When I, by the time I had my, my, my first child, I was going to start to kind of step back. and all these. So I had to kind of that plan to make sure that I knew that it was always a balance and how would I get that balance right. So by the time I had my first kid three, three and a half years ago, I was actually in quite a good spot where I was kind of getting kind of a much better balance, much better, you know, exec team around me to support me and, and giving me time uh, with the family. So, so I, I you know, pre that, I definitely went on that struggle. I burned out. I still remember, you know, that there was a low point for me. I was in, I was in Cannes. And I was in like hotel room and I was just, I was just really, really ill. And I was, I was supposed to fly back to do this talk with the BBCA. It was like their, their like yearly event. I was like practicing in my room and I was like being sick. And I was like really just not well. And I ended up like not being able to kind of fly back and I couldn't get on the flight. And I had this moment of reality, which is like, like what am I doing to myself? Yeah, I really realized that I was getting ill like constantly. I wasn't just looking after myself. My diet wasn't as good as it should have been. I wasn't exercising. I was, wasn't sleeping properly. I'd wake up in the night, do a bit of work and go back to sleep. Just, just really, really bad. And I think that, that I learned a lot of lessons around how to get a balance. And it was a life coach I had that really kind of helped me get that balance, but also helped me you know, with my ego, which was how to step away from a business. Because you know, for me, I didn't want to you know, carry on in that way in life, but I also realized I was a bit of a control freak. So how do I make sure that I let go of my ego and really give people kind of more autonomy to make those decisions uh, on my behalf? And that kind of that journey of kind of getting that balance was really, really important for me and something that would certainly help me. Whatever I do next, I'm not concerned about that balance and that sacrifice you have to make because I know from day one, I feel that like I've got the tools to really help me balance now. And then whatever I do next, I'm kind of got like, you know, a blank sheet where I can then build that new kind of balance and life that I, that I want. What I find fascinating though, is you said before about startups, always look to the US for acquirers. That's where, you know, large organizations, P firms are much more acquisitive to buy in technology, buy in capability. Um, how do we change that, right? As a, as a country, you know, that's not sustainable for the UK to create all this talent and this capability and it all just get exported out yeah. you know it's quite something i'm quite passionate about how, how do you think we should change that it's, it's a really good point um and i would say that it's it, over time it gets better just purely because there's more exciting businesses coming through there's more competitive tension there's more money available you know so that all kind of like allows it to to really kind of create a higher value um multiple for for businesses that are looking to exit Europe has to be able to compete with the US. They have to be able to you know, start to kind of challenge how much they're willing to spend on buying companies and the model. It's clearly working for people in the US uh, because you know, they're just doing it so much. And I think that you know, sometimes there can be such a kind of, for example, like in the UK, there's often kind of this fixation on profitability and everything over, over the years that's kind of really, really come about. And I think that the mindset is moving somewhat. People, there's a lot of you know, VCs and, and PE companies that are coming into space that are really kind of, now focus on some of the kind of that revenue growth elements uh, and being more comfortable with the losses. I also think there's there's this kind of merger that's happening between this venture capital world and this private equity world. So now you have, you know, previously you had private equity companies that need the majority of everything else. I think private equity companies are now more open-minded, won't just invest in businesses that are purely just making like profit, profit, profit. I think, you know, VCs are now kind of looking to be kind of maybe more aggressive on 
uh, maybe competing with the private equity firm. So there is definitely kind of this kind of trade-off you know, starting to happen. Uh, and I think what that allows is, again, more competitive tension between you know, UK financial institutions uh, that allows you to help drive the prices up. So I definitely think that the US is still you know, naturally ahead because, again, everything in the US is 10 times the size of here. Therefore, the value, valuation is very kind of easy to expand out and show the potential of a business. Versus in Europe, you know, every country is, has its own intricacies and its own kind of issues when you're kind of expanding into versus, you know, states, you go into another state and it's, you know, the same size as most countries in Europe, if not bigger. So I, do, I think that kind of mentality is something that the US will always have over us. But I do think that the, the catch up game is already starting to happen, but there still is some way to go. Yeah. And they're also more comfortable of taking a business from the Europe and scale it in the US totally, than they are yeah. scaling uh, in, into whatever 16 languages we've got. Yeah. in the same step base of the, the US. So they see that as a, a risk in it already yeah. because they've proven it in 16 markets and they can totally. US, they see the US as one market. So yeah. it makes it easier for them. 100%. So Adam, entrepreneurs are told, you know, there's, there's a top 10 rules of being an entrepreneur. Is there anything of those that you feel you're absolutely violently in disagreement with? A very kind of traditional entrepreneur response that everyone says, and I'm going to challenge that slightly. And it's not to say that I dismiss it because I think it's valuable, but... The advice that everyone gives is follow your gut. And I totally appreciate that the follow your gut instinct is something that's you know, definitely pivotal in entrepreneur success. However, you know, my challenge is that you know, your gut is often kind of made up of you know, familiarities, environments, and everything else. And I certainly kind of found that gut-led instincts all the time weren't really sufficient enough to make best decisions for example a lot of people talk about interviews yeah you know and i think that you could for example be interviewing someone and subconsciously that person could remind you of someone that you didn't like at school you know so something inside is telling you no it's it's ticking all the boxes or she's ticking all the boxes but something doesn't feel right because maybe without even knowing you're comparing them and i think that your you know your gut certainly has biases and i think that there is something within that that we have to be very careful of. And it's, it's a balance, right? It's your heart, your mind, and your gut. And how to kind of balance that effectively is, I believe, is how to make good decisions. I do think that, you know, the follow your gut, always follow your gut, I think that should come as kind of almost a last resort. When the mind and the heart are conflict, that's when you can start to kind of rely on the gut because that's, that's the, the backup. But versus the other way, which is, uh, I think, entrepreneurs put it across as, you know, just gut, 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 gut. I think that has to be balanced. I, I completely agree because... You have to sit there and interview is probably the place where it comes across the most. Big, bigger decisions around new markets or new products tend to be a much more discussion-based rather mm. than uh, you meet someone for an hour and you decide to give them a job. I always approach that with like, my gut will always have an unconscious bias, as you say, for certain things. But the head needs to remember what we're interviewing for and what the role is. Exactly. And if I don't like that person, and my gut tells me that person's not my type of person, Sometimes, actually, that's the right person for the role. Totally. So you, you've, got to, you've got to be able to interpret your gut. Totally. To be able to rationalise it against what the actual requirement is versus gut says, mm, I'm not going to get on with that person. So where is your summit, Adam? Where, where is my summit? My major summit is yet to come. Um, but if I look at you know, the, the kind of summits that I've had so far, I would say that you know, the exit for me was certainly kind of, it, it was, you know, um, uh, without a doubt, a life-changing uh, event that happened. And that moment where, you know, it really sets in that, you know, not, not just about kind of the financial reward that come from it, but 
the reality of you know the kind of freedom that you have to make some decisions that maybe you haven't been able to do before and I think that that for me has led uh, to me asking like certain questions you know like do I want to travel more when we're going to California and spending six months out there and these are things that I just couldn't couldn't do before Uh, I think that yeah for me that certainly was kind of the summit that exit at the same time you know I, I feel that yeah the next kind of higher peak is yet to come and something that I'm really excited for. It's interesting a lot of entrepreneurs talk about an exit being an opportunity then to kind of reset recalibrate do something different um, and, you know, it's almost like you, the cycles, you know, you, you, you really, if you want to disrupt industry, you can only do that for so long in terms of your mental health, your physical health. And you need something which is a moment to kind of go, OK, there's something there that allows me to go. That was that's done. And I can now move on to the next thing. Five to seven years. That's what everyone says. Yeah. Five to seven year sprints. Yeah. Year to get going. Kind of two, three years of growth. And then two, three years of you know, maintaining that and probably finding the, the place to go. Thanks for coming on today, Adam. And, yeah, and thanks for having me. It's been yeah, great. Yeah, it's been incredible. It's amazing. What an amazing I know, place. what a great space. And, and thank you for, for listening to the summit. We're interviewing entrepreneurs and individuals who have achieved great things in their life. And Adam is definitely one of those individuals. So thank you for listening. And if you get the chance, please can you like, share and comment and give us feedback on who you'd like to see next and what you think of the episode.